Okay, Katya asked me to, to focus uh, my presentation on how do we build healthy relationships. Um, I guess in the home or at school or wherever, when you have people who are not pleasant, partially it's because they don't know how to deal with people. What we developed in the healthcare system was a strategy called Share the Spirit. Uh, we, we went to the best companies that we could find to kind of to find out what are the best service-related uh, programs around. And then we took that information and put it in the context of a healthcare environment. And we teach all of our employees those principles. So I've been taking those same principles because they're the same, whether or not you work in industry, whether or not you work in healthcare, where you work, or even for church, you know, and you'd be surprised that even in a church setting, people don't know how to treat each other. And um, I, I, one pastor told me, he said, before he could do an evangelistic crusade, he had to teach his church how to treat people because somebody would walk into his church and sit in somebody's seat who's been sitting there for 12 years and, and, and they'd be upset, you know. So th that's what this is all about. It's called Share the Spirit. So I'm going to take you through a few principles and uh, ask you some questions. And we're going to have a little fun. In our eight-hour class, you're, there's, it's a lot more interactive. But I'm going to be going pretty fast. So uh, I hope we can, can get the meat out of this together. Let's just have a word of prayer as we start. Father, thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day and for your blessings to each of us and for this group that has come to learn more about how to, to do your work in a, a positive way. And we invite your presence to be with us as we learn from each other in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Mac, Mac Rocker. I'm Vice President for Corporate Relations at Adventist Health System, and I'd like to know who you are and what you do before we get started. Well, good. That gives me a little bit. We're going to start with, um, I usually like to, to start with this little clip. Um, so what, here's what we're going to talk about today. What can I do to improve the experience people have when they interact with me? What are the five behaviors that, that show that we care? And then how does respect impact a relationship? And how is the imagination one of God's gifts? And finally, how do we respond in difficult situations? So that's what Share the Spirit is going to be about. There are five basic principles of, of the Share initiative. The first one and, and I, didn't, I, I didn't bring any handouts or anything because the, the book is, is so much larger than, uh, anyway, I could have got you. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll try to go by and I'll give you the copy of the, the program that we actually teach. It's a full day uh, program. I didn't bring any, but I'll get them before you leave and, and give them to you that way. Can I, I can do that. So uh, the S in SHARE stands for Sense People's Needs before they ask. And sensing people's needs is about, what do you think that's about? That's about taking initiative, okay? The H in SHARE stands for help each other out. And what do you think that talks about? Now, I'm not gonna be lecturing here, okay? I want some feedback. What do you think the H, help each other out? What does that sound like? Starts with a T. Yeah, but H, sense people's needs before they ask, then help each other out. If you're in a group working together as a, as a team. So helping each other out is about teamwork. Acknowledge people's feelings. What do you think that's about? That's about genuine empathy. 
How do we show that we care? R, respect the dignity and privacy of others. This is the harder one. This one's about common courtesy. How parents taught us how to be courteous, you don't see that anymore. But we, we yes sir and yes ma'am when I grew up. You know, you don't, you don't, in college when a young lady came to the table, we stood up. But when an older person came to the table, you stood up. Common courtesy, we don't see that anymore. And then E, explain what's happening. What do you think that's about? How we communicate. Very good. So that's about communication. Those are the five behaviors that have to do with how we serve each other. And how we communicate is a big piece of that. So here's Dr. David. Now, does that happen in the family? Do things just seem to fall apart sometime and you can't seem to get anything done that you plan to do that day? And then we have to deal with people. You know, I've, I've seen mothers who just, are, they lose it because they just can't get it together in a difficult situation. Well, share is about how do we deal with life when things don't go right? How do we put that in a family context and say, what, how can I deal? How can I cope with what's happening? Because I, I, I'm imagining that um, from a situation like that, abuse could very easily. The first person that walked in that door might have gotten hit in that bad day. So let's talk about what it really means and, and, and what those five behaviors are and how we deal with it. So, uh, Janet, would you read that for us, please? Thank you. Catch. They're telling the story of your faith, right? What do we call it when people tell stories on us? Yeah, uh, tell stories about us. Usually all of it, the, the number one answer is gossip. But then suppose it's true and we become known for it. You're still gossiping? What do we call it when we are known for something? It becomes our what? Our reputation. I was going to throw you another ball, but you got that one. Our reputation. So, Katya, since you're standing up here, you can help me. Okay. All right. What do you want? Let's, let's make a list. What do, what do we want our reputation in our family to be? What are the elements of a good reputation? Let's write them down. What would they be? What do you want your family's reputation to be? What do you want people saying about you all over town? Loving. Loving. Let's make a list. Loving. What else? Honest. Honest. Mm -hmm. yeah, good. What else? Caring. Caring. Discipline. Wow, discipline. Anything else? Spiritual. Spiritual. Yeah, there you go. Anything else? Compassionate. Compassionate. Well, that's caring. Yeah, we got compassionate over right there. Anything else? Is that a good enough list? Respectful. Respectful. Kind. kind. Hardworking. Hard Anybody got a Bible? Can I use your Bible a minute, please? Can't believe I left my Bible. Anything else? Keep going. Thank you. Is that a good enough list? Godly. All right. 
That's a pretty good list to start with. Thank you, Katya. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with other, one another in love. Bearing with one another. Wow. That's, that's kind of difficult to do. But then at the end of the verse, at the end of the chapter, he gets pretty specific about what we ought to be talking about. He says, let no corrupt, verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification. So how we talk, what we say, might impact. And then it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed, for the day of redemption, in verse 31, this one really gets me. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with, from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's powerful language. And I guess my question is, who was he talking to? He was talking to the church. That amazes me when you, when, you, when you stop and study about that, that here are people who are trying to follow Christ's example, and yet he has to tell them, let no corrupt communication come between you. Be kind one to another. Don't be bitter. Don't be evil speaking. And so if the people were not like this, and they were, as they were described in Ephesians 4, then the church was like that. When you first looked at that text, you would think that he was talking to the Philistines. But no, he was talking to us. He was talking to the church. And that's why we have abuse in our society, in our church, and in the Seventh-day Adventist church, because we haven't taken the heed from Paul's letter to the Ephesians about what it means to be a united family. This is wonderful if we can get there. And so how do we get there? That's the question. So let's look at a few principles. That's what we want our reputations to be. But the question then is, Willie, are you disciplined? Are you respectful? Emmeline, are you caring? Janet, are you honest? Because what's the bottom line here? If we are not like that, our families won't be like that. So we represent to the family what it is that God wants us to be. And so it comes down to how I react, how I live, how I present myself. I am that person. I, was, uh, I used to work for the, who we turned out to be the Surgeon General, Dr. David Satcher, when I, the only three years of my life that I didn't work for the church, I worked at Meharry Medical College. And Dr. Satcher was a very good man, and he would... I mean, the, the primary job of a, uh, of a president of a major institution is to go out and raise money. I mean, it becomes that. And he was gone quite a bit on, on the weekends, going to alumni meetings, raising money for the medical school and the dental school. And he said he, he was in some city, Oregon or somewhere, and somebody looked at him in the airport and he says, I, I know you. You're, you're Dr. Mahari. And he called him by the name of the organization. Because to the person, to the public, you represent the organization. 
Do you remember what your mother and father used to tell you when you left for school? Remember who you represent. My wife used to say to our kids, thou God, and they would have to say back at the end of that sentence, see us me. Our reputation is important. And it starts from when they're children. That we have to teach them these principles of discipline and caring and honesty and being loving and being kind and respectful and handwriting and, and hardworking and godly. Because a lot of times the way we act is different from what we've been talked about. Now, this is a true story. This is an article that was in the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, two people, we have a lot of senior citizens here in Florida, and a lot of them shouldn't be driving. And so this old man was at a red light, and a young lady was behind him, and he w wasn't following what was happening. And so the, the light changed to green, you know, and he didn't recognize it. And so this woman was behind him screaming and hollering and fussing and cursing, and the man was oblivious to all of it. And finally, the light turns yellow again, and he recognizes it. He goes through the light, and she's stuck at the light again for another sequence. And so what she didn't know, though, that there was an Orlando policeman behind her. And when he saw her behavior, he, he actually turned the sirens on and pulled her over and took her to the police station. And after about 30, 45 minutes being in the police station, they let her go. And she said, well, why did you do this to me? And this is what he said, you know, look at the back of the car that was in front of her. This was the back of her car. This is what the policeman saw. Honk if you love Jesus, what would Jesus do? This is what the policeman saw, the woman in the front of him who was screaming and fussing and hollering. So what do you think he thought? What do you think the policeman thought? You're getting there. Maybe what? No. Why would he pull her over? Why would he take her to the police station? Thought she had stolen the car. Ah, because what? The behavior didn't match the message. And so the question is in our lives, does the behavior match the message? Do we say this but live another way? You know, when I get all messed up or if I do something at home, my wife says, okay, Mr. Cher. She'll call me Mr. Cher because I'm not living up to what I, I'm not practicing what I preach. People hear what we say, but they see what we do and what? Seeing is what? Seeing is believing. That's what it's all about. How did Jesus treat people? How did Jesus treat people? You know, one of the best stories in the Bible, I don't have a picture of that one. One of the best stories in the Bible is how Jesus treated uh, Mary. You can just imagine. You can go and read this in the Feast at Simon's House in Desire of Ages if you don't remember the story. But remember, Jesus had healed Lazarus of leprosy. So Lazarus being a good Pharisee, what does a good Pharisee have to do? He has to pay Jesus back. So he has a party for Jesus. And he calls all of the big shots in town. And he invites Lazarus because he has raised Lazarus for the, from the dead. So that probably make a good story. People like to meet him. So he brought Lazarus. And uh, who wasn't invited, though? You know, Martha was catering the food. So, but the sister Mary was not necessarily invited because she was a bad woman.
How did Jesus treat people? So the party goes on, and Mary decides that she is going to now anoint Jesus because she's heard that he's going to die, but then she hears that they're going to make him king, and she's confused. So she breaks open this alabaster of ointment that she has been saving for a special occasion. Now, what happens when you open a bottle of perfume in a room like that? Can't you just see everybody's eyes just shift over to this, and they see this bad woman kneeling at Jesus' feet? And what is he doing? He's letting her. She's crying, thanking him for delivering her, right? But what do the people say? Simon, in his mind, saying, this must not be the son of God because he's letting a bad woman touch her. Judah says, why this waste? We could have used that money for other things. And Ellen White says he had no intention of using that money for the good. He was going to put it in his pocket because he was a thief. And Jesus goes over to her and puts his hands on her shoulder. And he says, leave her alone for what she has done today will be told wherever the gospel is told. That's how Jesus treated people. Now, what would we have done? I mean, can you just see this happening in our day? Oh, we would have had a microphone up, up to her mouth. We would have been exposing this on CNN, but not Jesus. He didn't even expose Simon. He told him a parable, and in that parable, he saw himself for what he was. He didn't expose Judas. What did he do? He acknowledged her gift. He sensed her need, acknowledged her gift, and told her to go. And that wherever the gospel is told, what she had done would be told as a representation of him. That's how Jesus treated people. How do we treat people? How do we treat people in our family? Read this one with me. I love this from Ty Gibson's book, See With New Eyes. What, we, what does it say? Whatever we do to any other person or fail to do, he feels the blow or the blessing as if he were the direct recipient. When we bring relief, he is relieved. When we inflict justice, he is wrong. When we help, he is helped. When we impose pain, he is pain. That's from a quote from the book, See With New Eyes. Powerful new book. I love that book. See With New Eyes by Ty Gibson. Now, he's got a series of books. Uh, one's on shades of grace. One's called In the Light of God's Love. Great author. Great author. I, I love what he's doing. Is there anybody in the world that doesn't know who that is? Yeah. So when are we going to get an Adventist picture that everybody will know because of the reputation they had for being loving and kind? What would they say if I put your picture up there or my picture up there? What would people say? What would they say about us? What will your neighbors say? What will your family say? What will your children say? Will they say these things that you have said you want them to say? Or will they say something else? Because our reputation, how we live every day in the home, that's what it's all about. And that's what people see. So again, S, what does that stand for? Sense people's needs when? Before they ask. Let's say that one together. Sense people's needs before they ask. H? Help each other out. See, before we're done, you're going to know this. You're going to know those five letters, all right? A, acknowledge people's feelings. R, 
Respect the dignity and privacy. When I learned it, I realized D comes before P in the alphabet, so respect what? What are they going to respect? Dignity and privacy. Easy when you do it that way. E, explain what's happening. And I always remember that because Ricky Ricardo used to come into the house and say, Lucy, you got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> so that's kind of how I started learning how to do this. So one of the real problems is that it's not really a problem. One of the benefits that we have being a child of God is that God has given us a brain. And he's given us the ability to make the right choices. Choice. Did you hear Elder Finley talk about choice last Saturday night? The first letter in creation health is C for choice. God's given us the power of choice. Proactive people choose wisely. What does proactive mean? Anybody know? What does proactive mean? It's not a word you're going to find in a dictionary. Being a step ahead. I haven't heard that one before. Anybody else? What does it mean to be proactive? It's more than taking initiative. Ah, being anticipatory. Yeah. It, it, it really means taking responsibility. Taking responsibility. I am responsible for my behavior. We live in a society right now that likes to blame everybody for everything. I mean, you name it. Now, if Janet's hair was a little redder than that, what would we say about Janet? What do people say about people with red hair? That they're crazy or? You haven't heard this? Hot tempered. So that if Janet was hot tempered, you, you never heard that? Oh, sure. They, they say people with red hair, watch out for them, boy, because they'll fly off the handle in a minute. So now if I'm Janet and I have red hair, then oh, everybody expects me to be that way because I've got red hair. As a matter of fact, Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says that we call that determinism. Determinism. And he says there are three kinds of determinism. Where's my pen? There's, there's psychic, there's genetic, and there's environmental. So people who are determined usually present the evidence to, to support the belief. Determinism. So if I'm determined, I'm going to make some excuse for why I don't have to be like this, see? If I got red hair, you know, okay, or, you know, my boss, I got a bad boss, so I don't have to be good because I got a bad boss. Oh, but you know what? I grew up in a terrible neighborhood, so my environment now shapes my behavior. See, I'm not taking responsibility. I'm blaming it on other people. Proactive people don't do that. Or the good one, genetic. Well, you know, my grandfather was like that. So now I don't have to be that way because I'm excused. Proactive people don't do that. See, no one can make you feel inferior, Eleanor Roosevelt says, without your permission. And so I, I added a few. Can anybody make you feel happy without your permission? What about sad? What about angry? So it's all up here. We're not an animal. God has given us the power of choice. We're not like an animal. So my sense of worth is not determined by comparison to other people. We tend to want to compare people and then put them in these little boxes. Proactive people are different. When Pavlov did his 
classical study on classic, uh, classical psychology, classical conditioning, he talked about stimulus and response. See, when I was five, Willie, if I hit you, what would you do? You'd hit me back, right. We call that, remember, Psych 101, stimulus, response. But what goes in the middle of that? And whether or not it's a work situation or in home or in church, what goes in the middle? Stephen Covey was on a subway in New York. Anybody ever been on a subway in New York? It's probably a terrible experience, isn't it? I was in Japan. I was in Japan doing a, a share seminar for the leaders of our hospitals over there. And uh, I decided to go to church that Sabbath morning. I wanted to see what church was like in a Japanese church. And at that particular church, they had like three services, one for Japanese, one in English, and I forgot what the other one was. So they told me how to get there. I had to take the subway. They have people hired, these little old ladies that are hired to stand and push you onto the subway. Because when the doors open and the people come out, I mean, they're... They, will, they move like that. And if you don't go fast enough, they'll push you right on. They, that's their expectation. So Covey was on this subway in New York, and in walks this man with three little children. And the father sits kind of in the back. He's kind of got his head down, and the kids are just running through the subway. You know, being like those kids that, come on in. Being like those kids, come on in. Being like those kids who... My dad was a high school principal, junior high school principal, and he knew how to look at you and get you back in your seat. And so he was watching these kids thinking, what's wrong with this father? Why doesn't he discipline, as one of your words, why doesn't he discipline those people? And he's watching them run through the subway, knocking over people's papers and stepping on toes. So finally he gets enough nerve and he goes over to the man and says, sir, your kids. And the man looks up and he says, oh, you think I should do something? He said, look at them. They're tearing up the place. And so then he says, oh, I, I'm sorry. We, we just left the emergency room and their mother died in the ER and I don't think they know how to handle it. Now, Covey said he went from wanting to spank these kids now to what? To wanting to embrace them. So the question is, what changed? What changed? If we had to put something in between stimulus and response, see, what would we put in between that? Of what we do or don't do? Compassion? Compassion? No, let's... Interpretation. What do you see when you see people in the grocery store or on an airplane or walking down the street? Are we sure that we have the right interpretation of what's happening? Because most times we just react to what we see. We don't stop and take the moment to say, hmm, wonder what's happening there. Proactive people live there. Proactive people will ask the question, I wonder what's going on there. They won't just react to what's happening. So what, are the, what, what do you see here? You see an old lady? I see a young girl. I you see, see a young girl? You see both of them? You don't see the old lady? Yeah. 
Men usually see the young lady. Women usually see the old lady. What can I say? <laughs> All right, there's the old lady's eye. That's the, the young lady's nose. See that? Anyway, we, we look at things in life differently. Let's read this one together. This is one of my favorite quotes. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So I know that I have to stop reacting to what I see. That's what proactive people do, see? They stop reacting to what they see, and they start asking questions to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Anybody been to Disney World, Sea World, any of the worlds here in Orlando? Well, in order to do that, you have to drive on I-4. I-4 is a horrible nightmare if it's raining or if there's a fender bender. Because you're just, as a matter of fact, coming up here today, Katya, I was late because there was a, an accident between Lake Mary and here. And it was doing just that. It was just creeping along. And I said, why did I do that? I could have come down Lake Mary Boulevard. I could have come up Markham Woods Road. And here's the traffic. It's just easing along. And we're known for that between like Princeton and all the way down to the attractions. So I had a meeting with my boss. And um, this was before we had cell phones. And I'm, I live out in Apopka. And I can get to work without getting on I-4. But if you get on I-4, you can really fly. I mean, if it's no wreck or it's not raining. And I made the silly mistake of getting on I-4. And sure enough, there was a fender bender. Now, I look in my rear view mirror. I'm here, and I'm anxious, and I know I'm going to be late. And you don't want to be late for the president of the company. And yet, here's this jerk in a little red sports car behind me. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's weaving in about a traffic. And I see this guy coming. And I say, OK, I'll fix him. I'll just put one of my wheels over here in this lane and leave the other one over here. Put him in his place. What is, who does he think he is? Just because he's got a little fancy sports car, why should he be tearing up the road when the rest of us are stuck here? You get really crazy when you get behind the wheel of a car sometimes. And he's just blowing his horn at me. He's bah, bah. I'm, the, I'm just smiling. Just stay back there, bud. And then finally, he gets to a little spot in the road, and he gets enough, and he zooms on by me, almost knocks into the guardrail. <clears throat> and I'm watching him go down the road. Why do we get so emotionally involved behind the wheel of a car? So what? And I see this jerk in this little car doing this all the way down I-4. And I get to Princeton, which is the street you turn on to go into the to Florida Hospital into the Adventist Health System. And I get into the, to the parking garage. And guess who I see? This little red sports car. He's looking for a spot, and I'm looking for a spot. And I see a lady coming out, and I'm saying, come on out of that spot, lady, because I can zip in before this guy zips in if she hurries. And so she does, and I zip in, and he goes by me. He's giving me a look. And I'm smiling because I beat the jerk in the little red sports car. Right? Now what do you think this guy has the nerve to do? He goes and gets himself a handicapped spot. I'll fix him. So I'm taking down his license to give it to the, I'm really invested in this now, right? I'm going to give it to the security guard So because in Florida it's a $200 ticket if you park in a handicapped spot. And just when I'm getting all self-righteous, the door opens, the man goes to the other side, opens the door and picks up the little kid who's bleeding right down his head. Now who feels like the jerk? 
What's changed? Did the reality of the moment change? No, he was still a jerk to me driving down the highway. But my, now do I have a different interpretation of why that might be? And Covey says, suppose it's even one in 100 that's really driving like that for any really serious reason. What's it to you? It's that person's problem. It's not your problem. But we tend to react to what we see and because we don't know all of the answers. So the question is, what motivates you to do the things that you do and to act the way you act? There are four levels of motivation, he says. First one, I'm in my car. I see the little jerk in the red sports car. And I'm going to get over here and stop him, remember? But in my left view mirror, I see a Florida State Police. Now what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to get back in my spot. Why? Because I don't want to get the ticket. Let him give the jerk a ticket. We call that compliance. So the first level of motivation is compliance. Most employer-employee relationships are built on compliance. Most mother-children relationships are built on compliance. You have to do something. You have to get dressed. You have to go to school. You have to clean your room. That's not a great reason to get up and go to work in the morning, is it? Because I have to. I'm in my car and I see this jerk coming, but I even prayed about it last night. I said, I'm not going to let anybody get on my last nerve. Remember what my grandmother used to say, getting on my last nerve, you had that expression? So what do we call that when we're just determined to not let anything bother us? We call it willpower. Now, willpower is stronger than compliance, but it's not the most important. Now, I'm in my car, bless you. I'm in my car and I see this guy in a red sports car. I'm not going to even call him a name, but I look in my mirror. There's some water here if you need some too. And I ask this question. I wonder why he's driving like that. What do we call that? We call it our imagination. Our imagination. One of God's greatest gifts. Our imagination. Because in my imagination, see, I can create the feeling to let anybody do what they want to do without me worrying about it. But we don't tend to live there. We tend to live, oh, this doesn't work on the TV, does it? We tend to work here and here. But imagination is where creativity comes from. You think the iPad was built on compliance or willpower? Not a chance. Creative people use imagination. And he says that habit is the fourth one, and our character is no more than the sum total of our habits. So that I do it over and over and over again. I see that guy coming on the car over and over again, and I say, that's his problem. That's his problem. I'm not going to worry about it. Then I'm living in a different zone. See? But too many of us, and I know I'm here. I've been here. I'm asking the Lord to help me to live here and here. What are we taking to heaven? Character. Character. Proactive people live in their imagination. They don't react to what they see. Proactive people learn to ask this question. What would it take for me to do that? I love this quote from Desire of Ages because it just hit me all upside the head. When you think about your career, when you think about your life, has this ever been 
an issue with you. Let's, let's read it together. There can be no more conclusive evidence that we possess the spirit of Satan than the disposition to hurt and to destroy those who do not appreciate our work, who act contrary to our ideas. In a relationship, if we get to the conclusion where we say, all right, I'll fix them, I'll get them, I'll get my revenge, and by the way, I think as an Aesop fable, it says revenge is not worth the loss of liberty. But people who, I, I tell the pastors when I do this, if a conference president moves you, <laughs> you, you can't be hurt because people don't think the same thing that you think at the same moment. And to the fact that we're going to fix somebody, and it happens in the home with relationships. If a spouse doesn't do something that you want to do or disagree, I'll fix them next time. I'll get him. I'll get them. That's the wrong spirit. What's motivating our spirit? Here are four things that happen in, in, that motivate us. You ever had a critical spirit? Do you see a critical spirit being manifested in the home? What about a controversial spirit? What about a compelling spirit? You, you, you're going to just force somebody to act a certain way or a spirit to control. In the book, it's about people. It says that these are the same conditions that the mark of Cain was all about, the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain had all of these in his makeup, controversial, critical, compelling, and a spirit to control. That's the wrong spirit. It's the wrong spirit to motivate us. That's from a book called It's About People by Jim Hornberger. So proactive people learn to ask this question. What would it take for me to do that? Think about it now. Have you ever been on highway, I-95, 95, 35? Do you, wherever you live, do you have, you have one of these interstates. Have you ever been the little red sports car? I know I have. When I lived in Maryland and I watched my little daughter, Krisha, fall off of her bicycle, I was actually the little red sports car. I was not stopping until I got her to Washington Adventist Hospital, and I went by three. Pull, uh, they, on 95, they have these uh, speed traps in between Burtonsville and where you get off to hit 95 to 495. They would even sit over there with a truck with hay in it to, to, fool, to fool people. And I went through there doing 85 miles an hour because I was going to get my daughter to the, air, to, the, to the hospital, to my hospital. And I wouldn't do that today. Thank God I'm, I have more judgment than that. But what would it take for me to do that? If when you see behavior that is not what you thought you would do, can you ask that question? What would it take for me to do that? Responsible means responsible or the ability to choose our responses by choosing our behavior. In the family setting, what would happen if we did more choice of our behavior instead of just reacting and blowing up, but choosing, I'm not going to respond this way. That's what proactive people do. Now, all of you are in the room except a few of you maybe don't know who that is. But those of us who are older know who that is. You remember the name Mark Spitz? You all remember what Mark Spitz did? Seven gold medals, 
Seven gold, and that had never been done before, seven gold medals in the Olympics. You know what Mark Spitz had to do to earn seven gold medals? He had to swim a lot. Eight hours a day in an Olympic-sized pool, 365 days, just swimming laps. Could you do that, a 20-year-old kid? Swimming laps, eight hours a day, because he has a goal, he has a dream? Now, go back to my little red sports car story. Do you think Mark would respond to his father, standing over him, saying, all right, son, let's go. You got 12 more laps today. What, we, what do we call that? First level of motivation? Compliance. Or what about Mark himself saying, oh, my goodness, I just got 12 more laps. Come on, I can do it. What did we call that? Willpower. No. What do you think Mark did? What do you think he did? Not habit. He imagined. He imagined. And the reason we know this is because he said, I imagined myself on the cover of Life magazine. Y'all don't know what that is either. I imagined myself standing on the podium. I imagined myself feeling the medals put around my neck. Imagination, one of God's greatest gifts. In our imagination, we can create the feeling to do the right thing, to have the right behavior. And that's what he did. And the Bible told us this many years ago. We just didn't remember it, but it says, read it with me. For as he what? Thinks in his heart, so is he. So we need more proactive families. We need more proactive mothers, more proactive fathers, more proactive people to teach that this is important, but what, how I live is more important than what I say. And proactive people will do that. That's what we call living proactively. Any questions? Does that make sense? All right. What time we got? I'll give you a break in a minute. Let's go to the next section. Genuine empathy. Now, usually I have a flower here for you to, to write on, but we don't today. So... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, Katya, help me, because your handwriting is going to be a lot better than mine. I want you to think about what makes your life fulfilling and complete. Let's put God in the middle of that. But what else would I say? What are the things that just energize me that make my life fulfilling and complete? Let's make a list of them. Let's write them on the leaves of that petal. Anybody? Come on. What, what about you? Good health, all right, let's put good health on one of the petals. What else? Love. Love, okay. What else? What's just fun? What do you just can't wait to do when you get up in the morning? What makes your life fulfilling and complete? Let's put them on our, on our flower. Music. Music, there you go. You're a musician? You, I know you, you're a musician. I'm surprised, Willie, you didn't say that. <laughs> Music, what kind of musician are you? Oh, my goodness, you and, you and William, you need to get together there. I played a clarinet. We got us a little trio right here. There you go. What else? Come on, what makes your life fulfilling and complete? Writing. Writing, okay. What else? Come on, Emmeline, you haven't said anything. What, what do you just can't wait to do when you get up in the morning? What makes your life fulfilling and complete? Exercise. Exercise. All right, that's a good one. 
What about hobbies? Any hobbies? Cooking. All right, that's another one. Cooking. What? What? Any hobbies? Art. Okay. Nobody has said work yet. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm surprised. Money. Okay. Put a dollar sign up there. Money. Okay. What else? Anything else? Let's fill up our flower. You like what? Oh, dissecting bodies. Wow. I have never in 15 years gotten that one. <laughs> That's part of work, though. Okay. Friendship. Okay. I'm really surprised. There's some good ones that you all haven't said yet that most people usually say. Time with God. Time with God. Okay. Well, we got God in the middle. Oh, yeah. No pet lovers in here? Time with pets. Yeah. Pets, most, that's usually the first thing I get. They love their pets. Twelve dogs and six cats. What else? And the men usually say sports. And, you know, so I'll put golf up there. Golf? Put, put golf up there for me. And grandchildren. Where are your grandchildren? You didn't even make spouse or children. Somebody said family. Okay. All right. That's what makes our life willing, fulfilling, and complete, right? As we get older, we begin to lose our petals. As we respond to sickness and disease and health, we begin to lose our pedal. Let me ask you a question. If somebody in your family had been diagnosed with cancer and had six months to live, how much of this would still be important? Well, good health is gone, right? Money's probably gone because I'm at the hospital. They have time to read, exercise? Probably, don't, probably don't have the energy. Am I going to cook? You guys didn't put vacations? You didn't put travel? You put what? Sex. Sex. Sometimes I get that one. All of that's gone, though. As we lose our petals, what happens in the home? You know, my dad died two years ago, th three years ago in December. He was 93, and he'd lived a full life. But right about 90, we started to see dad lose his pedals. He still drove around in his car. <laughs> he he might have been that guy <laughs> in front of the lady. <laughs> but, you know... He was always enthusiastic. He was always teaching. He was always doing something. And we'd see him out there marking off the backyard where he was going to build something. Dad, you can't do that. We have homeowners association. You have to get permission. <clears throat> you know, if he just wanted to be doing something. He was active, but he was beginning to lose his pedals. And sometimes he would, you would tell him something. And I know you know people in your families or other people's families where you see what happens, and they'll ask you the same question five times. 
within a half an hour. And it used to frustrate me. And then I stopped and I realized he's losing his spouse. And it may be that it's not that he didn't understand. Maybe he didn't hear or maybe he'd forgot the answer. And I used to tell my sister, I said, so what if we have to tell him five times in five minutes? Tell him like it was the first time because he's losing his pedals. In the hospital, that's who we get, people who are losing their pedals. In our families, there are people. There's the uncle. There's the cousin. There's somebody in our family who are losing their pedals. And the question is how do we deal with them? What do they want from us? What do they want from us? What do they want? How do you think we should treat them? You've already said it. How should we treat them? With love and compassion. That's what they need. That's what compassion is all about. Genuine empathy means walking in someone else's shoes. Not just looking at them, but feeling what they feel and then responding in a way that shows love and compassion. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He came here and walked in our shoes. And he showed what it meant to be loving and compassionate. Any questions? Does that make sense? Okay, let's been sitting a, a good 45 minutes. Why don't we take a five-minute break, let you get up and stretch, get some water. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org